0: Hey, it's Latif from Radiolab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This week on The Takeaway, we're talking about the intersection of race, place, and health. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation says that African-Americans are less healthy than white Americans in all 50 states, and it's a problem that starts at a very young
1: age. We saw that African-American babies were being born at a higher rate of low birth weight in every single state in the nation
0: than the counties in their state that had the worst rate. That's Julie Willems Van Dyke from the University of Wisconsin. I spoke to her about African-American babies being born underweight, which can sometimes lead to death in infancy. Prisca Neely is a senior reporter covering early childhood at KPCC, and she's also been looking closely at this gap between black and white babies. But many of the black women she's talked to in her reporting are often unaware that their stories are part of a larger national narrative of race and health.
1: I did not know about it at all. I just kind of stumbled on it, and it shocked me too. Uh, yeah, I, I learned about it in a very personal way with a uh, loss of my first baby. And it wasn't until after it happened to me that people in my family started coming out the woodwork. I lost a baby. I lost two babies. I just wasn't aware. I just, I didn't know. And I'm an African-American woman, and it's sad because obviously the information isn't getting out there.
0: The numbers from this year's County Health Rankings Key Findings Report may shed some light on the crisis facing black babies across the country. But this isn't a new problem. I asked Prisca about why there's been such a slow response to such a serious problem.
1: In my reporting, I found a 1984 congressional hearing, a a transcript, and it was called Failure to Close the Black-White Gap in Infant Mortality. That's more than 30 years ago. So this is something that is happening to thousands of black women across the country every year. But most of them don't realize that their personal pain, their tragedy is part of this national narrative.
0: Tell us what that narrative is and how it connects to what we're seeing in the data.
1: Yes. So one of the mothers that I spoke to in my reporting, her name is Raina Granberry, and she lost her first baby. And she really talks about the the trauma of going through that experience. The physical act of like pushing out the baby and hearing no tears, having no baby to keep ended up being way more traumatic than I thought it would be. Um, And I just went into a depression, the grief uh, was eating me up, then guilt was eating me up because I'm like, this whole time I knew something was wrong. And I continued to let this person tell me that nothing was wrong with me. So she went into labor uh, just about six months into her pregnancy. She'd been complaining for weeks about some spotting that she was experiencing about pain and was repeatedly told by different doctors that, you know, it was nothing to be concerned about. One thing that's really interesting is that until this happened to her, and she didn't know that this was going on in her family. She didn't know that this is something that had touched her aunts or her stepmom until she started talking about it. Cause it's a you know, it's a really unpleasant thing to talk about. Well, it's, it's
0: unpleasant, but it also is... Is something that can be considered shameful, particularly, I think, for black and brown women who are expected to not have issues with fertility or issues with childbirth. But I'm also wondering if Reina was dismissed because of who she was as a black woman and might have played into how her
1: doctors just kind of ignored her pain. Absolutely. And one of the things that's really you know important to reinforce with this statistic is that it's not a matter of income or education. There have been a lot of studies done on this. A black woman with a college degree is more likely to lose her baby than a white woman who did not complete high school. Raina is one of these college educated women. She was about 28 when she was pregnant. she had a partner. she had a, a job. She um, sought out uh, what she thought was a you know a hospital in a better part of town, but she was dismissed. One
0: thing that specifically stands out to me when it comes to people of color, particularly women of color, is this idea of chronic stress. Talk to us a little bit about what chronic stress is and how it manifests itself for black women in particular.
1: Yeah, when we look at the, the evolution of how, you know, this this issue of black infant mortality has been addressed over the decades, it really started with blaming black women for individual behavior, you know, smoking or w- w- whatever it may be. That did not explain this gap in birth outcomes. Then people started to look at, OK, is it a genetic issue? But one thing we know is that African women who come to the United States have babies here. Their birth outcomes are more like white women. So it's really something about the experience of living in the United States as a black woman. And researchers are now focused on the social determinants of health. How does your experience walking through the world uh, over the course of your life, how does that affect The next generation. So when we look at the chronic stress, there's a term that's called weathering, and that's what researchers use to refer to how the social and environmental factors can cause chronic stress that leads to the deterioration of health as black women age. And we know that, you know, mentioned smoking, for example,
0: it's no secret that smoking is not good for you. We've about wearing seatbelts. We talk about being careful on the road. And I mean, there are just so many public health crises that we as a country have decided are important. Why do you think this is still something that is sort of on the margins, I think, for, of a lot of people's
1: uh, awareness when it comes to public health? So first, there was just this lack of understanding. No one understood what was going on because individual behavior didn't explain it. But now that it's like, okay, it's the experience of being a black woman. It's the life course. You know, how do you tackle that? So here in L.A. County, uh, the rates are even higher than the national rate. Black babies are three times as likely to die in their first year of life. So there's some new leadership in the public health department. And Dr. Barbara Ferrer came from Massachusetts. She looked at the data, was really alarmed. And she told me that that's something that's really hard for people to talk about.
0: I would say this is a very blatant example of the impact of racism. And in this country, that's a conversation many people are not willing to
1: have. And she says it's because this is a conversation about, you know, oppression, about white privilege, about marginalization. And that's hard to talk about. What is it
0: that black women, women of color more broadly can do to mitigate some of these health issues that we're seeing?
1: Yeah. So I think first awareness, it's really hard to tackle something when you don't know about it. But then we talk about this is chronic stress. you know, this statistic is is stressful. It makes you even more stressed. So um, one thing is just really having that support, seeking out spaces to be supported by other black moms and making sure that you're really taking care of yourself. Centering pregnancy is something that people are talking about more, which is about different programs that try to remove social isolation for black women and try to create groups of support. Um, but just talking to your doctor, a lot of times when women go through something terrible, they're like, I wish that I had known about this so that I could have advocated for myself in the doctor's office. So I think that awareness and advocacy for yourself are where we can start.
0: Prisca Neely is a senior reporter covering early childhood at KPCC. Thanks, Priska. Thanks so much. And we've been hearing from you, our listeners, on the connection between where you live and your health outcomes. This is Julie Harrell in Erie, Colorado. We live in Colorado with lots of access to outdoor and indoor activities. The local communities also prioritize open space, bike and jogging trails, and neighborhood recreational centers. We are one of the healthiest states, and it makes a whole lot easier to stay fit and healthy when the community as a whole supports that lifestyle. All here in Vallejo, California. We are close by three oil refineries. Our air, even given usual westerly prevailing winds, is heavy in particulates. I have developed, been diagnosed with myelodysplastic syndrome, which is linked to benzene, which is a byproduct of the refinery process. Can't draw a straight line from one thing to the other, but there it is. This is Nikki Mohamed-Fousey from Arlington, Texas. Our younger children are covered by Medicaid, but the older ones are not because Texas did not expand Medicaid. We are under the poverty level and are ineligible for discounts on health markets. Does where you live impact your health? Give us a call at eight seven seven eight my take or send us a tweet at The Takeaway to weigh in. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Tanzina Vega, and this is The Takeaway.